Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And the forecast for this episode calls for weather puns. (laughs) Have we got news for you. You better listen. Anybody? You've heard uh, It's Raining Men? It's the beginning of that song. And Someone out there is laughing. I know it. And it's sung by the Weather Girls, right? Correct. But we're not talking about the Weather Girls, the singing group. We're no. talking about meteorologists who are sick of being called Weather Girls. <laughs> um, we received this request on Facebook from listener Sarah, who asked if we could do an episode on women in meteorology. And, I mean, with that alone, I was like, oh, of course, women in STEM. We love that. Totally. She said, specifically broadcast meteorologists, we're called weather girls all the time. This can be particularly frustrating and demeaning because the majority of us are hardcore scientists. Plus, we are subject to ridicule all the time for our makeup and outfit choices. Either we're not pretty enough or too slutty. You may remember a viral video of a meteorologist being handed a jacket by her co-anchor to, quote, cover up on live television. And yes, we will talk about that. If you're pregnant, just forget it. People hate to see a quote-unquote prego on air and will not hesitate to body shame us. What's great, though, is that we have an excellent community of female broadcast meteorologists who support each other. ABC News' chief meteorologist, Ginger Z, is a total science badass and refuses to be called a weather girl. It would be so interesting to hear a sminty take on the topic. Well, how could we resist? I mean, because really, this topic has it all. We've got women scientists. We've got uh, body shaming. We've got double standards. We've got people being weird about seeing pregnant women in public, which we've talked about on the (laughs) podcast before. So, Sarah, this one goes to you and all the other weather broadcasters out there listening. Um, And just a little note before we dive in. The lingo can be kind of confusing because meteorologists are scientists who may or may not also be weather people or weathermen. Weathercasters. Weather, Bill Weatherman. Yes. And Bill Weathermans <laughs> are professional broadcasters, or we should say Al Rokers maybe, are professional broadcasters and communicators who may or may not be scientists. And for another wrinkle in this whole thing, there's no legal definition of a meteorologist. So the real deal weather scientists will be certified by the American Meteorological Society. So from, right out of the gate, we have this uh, confusion, this blurring of the lines between science and the presentation of science by entertainers and for entertainment. Yeah, and let me tell you, dude, I took a weather and climate class in college taught by a rather unkind gentleman who looked like if um, Andy Warhol dressed like Carl Sagan. So he looked like Bill Weatherman? <laughs> Bill Weatherman. Um, and it was hard. I almost did not pass that class. <laughs> when I was a kid uh, during homeschool, I got hardcore into weather and making like homemade barometers and stuff like that. I remember there was something with a mason jar and a balloon. <laughs> and uh, I was so excited to learn what the different types of clouds meant, uh, all because of this uh, this book my mom got me about like Benjamin Franklin and how you can become a DIY meteorologist. Good for you, Nancy, getting you good books about weather. She was an excellent homeschooler. Um, so this this topic, even though I didn't pursue meteorology in a serious kind of way, I did never took a, a <laughs> meteorology class in college, it's still a topic that is near and dear to my childhood heart. Uh, but to dive into this conversation, we're actually not going to start by talking about the weather, but rather... <laughs> What a $23 dress on Amazon taught us about weathercasting sexism. Twist! Yeah, so uh, apparently there's this dress that exists. No, it does. It's not apparently. It really does. Um, 
that a lot of weather forecasters on TV wear. Uh, and St. Louis meteorologist Bree Smith and Angela Huddy accidentally started this trend, um, or at least tipped off the Internet, to how challenging it can be to dress for predicting the weather, which all ties in to this one dress that apparently every weathercaster forecaster has. Yeah, so it's it's still on Amazon, by the way. I looked at it. I considered buying one <laughs> um, because it is universally flattering. It's the Home Ye Women's Stretch Tunic Pencil Sheath Dress. So many words. Yes. Uh, and it comes in a rainbow of colors. And all of this is important. The whole sheath style, um, it has banding like black silhouetting along the sides that's very slimming um and it's only $23. So all of this is adding up to it being ideal especially for a lot of broadcast meteorologists who don't receive a wardrobe budget. They have to dress themselves and sometimes like do their own makeup as well. Um and I was interested to go on Amazon and see whether there were weathercasters on there who had bought the dress commenting about it. And indeed, Caroline, there were. Yeah. So reviewer Amanda says that she works on TV and is always looking for a good quality dress at an affordable price. And she talks about how this dress in particular is a nice thickness for fall and winter, but could be worn in any season. And that she got it in four different colors. Um, and I mean, these women who are reviewing the dress are talking about how flattering it is. Kimmy uh, says, you know, we can't have busy prints at work. Uh, it's not too short. The three-quarter length is great. Uh, she says, many of my colleagues also love this dress. In fact, it's been coined the weather anchor dress since so many meteorologists have it. Smiley face emoticon. And when the news about this $23 dress went viral online, uh, someone made a terrific collage of local weathercasters all wearing the dress, like different colors of the dress and all looking fabulous in it. But Kimmy's comment also points to this fine line that you have to work if you are a woman on screen (laughs) um, where it's not too short. So there's that line between being like you can't can't be ugly, but you can't be slutty. Um, it has sleeves because, good God, women's bare arms are just always targets of people are terrified of arms of scrutiny. Yes, um, and it doesn't show much cleavage, but it's still a very feminine-looking dress. So <laughs> little did I know how much gendered nonsense. How much baggage that you have to juggle when you are simply standing in front of a green screen trying to deliver the weather news. Well, I mean, this year in 2016, meteorologist Liberty Chan uh, out at KLTA, which serves the L.A. area, uh, had to wear a cocktail dress in a pinch on screen, which I can't imagine cocktail dresses being that much different from like any other dress that is worn on camera. But the audience freaked out. They totally had a pearl-clutching moment. And, I mean, Twitter was all over this. So, and this is the incident that listener Sarah referenced with the viral video of the uh, weather girl, in quotes, being handed a cardigan. Because, okay, she's wearing a cocktail dress. It does look out of place. But it's not an immodest dress. It's uh, a tank cut. So she's showing her arms it's a scoop neck, but there's not a lot of cleavage and it's not too short. It like comes up slightly above the knees. It's just like especially sparkly and, you know, it looks it looks like she forgot her actual dress or it looks like she like overslept and just ran out the door in the thing that she was wearing to drinks the night before. <laughs> and what happens is the pearl clutching starts where they start hearing from people actually watching the TV Freaking out, saying, cover that woman up. Oh, what, what's that slut doing? And so then you see her co-anchor, who is a guy, his arm coming out with a disembodied arm holding a cardigan. And she sees it. Of course, you know, her segment is being interrupted. She isn't exactly sure what's happening. And he says, you need to put this on. You need to cover up. And she's dumbfounded at first and asks, are you serious? And 
you can't see him, but it's clear that he's like, yeah, seriously. Um, and so she puts the, the sweater on, you know, looking as you might expect she would look, you know, like she's just been sort of insulted, slut shamed essentially on live air. And it was the handing of the cardigan that threw Twitter up in a tizzy mm-hmm. because they were reacting to something completely different than the broadcast audience was reacting to, you mm-hmm. know? So now I had heard and correct me because I, I saw this happen and was totally dumbfounded by it. But I had also heard somewhere that this was some sort of gimmick, that it wasn't real, that that she was in on it. Maybe so. I mean, she got a lot of media attention for it and insisted uh, that it was not sexism on behalf of her co-anchor, mm. that it was the network responding to in real time um, these complaints okay. that they were getting. Um, so she would have she disagrees with the, the Twitter outrage uh, that she was being subjected to sexism. But I mean, that's just one incident. Yeah. Of so many, because you really have to arm yourself against a weekly barrage of appearance-based criticisms if you are a female broadcast meteorologist. And that St. Louis meteorologist that we mentioned earlier, Angela Huddy, told St. Louis Magazine, I get told that you should go on a diet, you don't belong on TV, you need to cut your hair differently – um, sometimes you kind of laugh off the comments and other times it stings and you start to wonder, am I making the wrong decision in what I'm wearing? And, you know, that at that point, like we're not very far into this episode, Kristen, but I just want to like throw my notes up in the air and storm out because like, how is it anyone's business? Why this doesn't affect you? Like you're seeing a woman on television talking. Oh my God. Why do you care what she's wearing? And I wonder if they receive Way more of this kind of sexist critique compared to news anchors, because typically for a news anchor, you only see them from the waist up. Yeah. Um, whereas you see a weathercaster's full body, mm-hmm. you know, so there's just double the room to judge. Right. And to pick apart. Um, and another thing, too, that I'm realizing as I'm saying this is uh, Fox News has a very particular style of their anchors, like not even weather, but just like any any woman on Fox News is usually showing some cleave, heavily made up, um, and that's okay. I don't know what the difference is, is what I'm saying. There's just – there's a bizarre double standard within a double standard applied to – Weather casters in particular. And it's something that started from the get go. Yeah. Even the BBC's first female presenter, Barbara Edwards, back in 1974, had to deal with this stuff. Uh, she said that occasionally I received letters from people criticizing my dress sense. And you've got to love that, right? Because it takes so much more energy to write a letter and mail it than it does to either write a tweet and hit send or just like if you're really going to go for it pick up the phone. Uh, she said one woman complained that someone of my age shouldn't wear tank tops. There's that 35. bare arms, the bare arms issue. Oh, yeah. Thirty five. Those thirty five year old arms. Oh, God forbid. Why are we still so hung up on arms? This reminds me too. Michelle Obama. <sighs> oh, no, no. This I mean, in terms of people, the, are, people complain about Michelle Obama's arms that she has the gall to show them. I know. Still, somehow, after eight years of yeah. those impeccable arms, people get get with it. Michelle Obama's amazing, and so are her arms. Just get over it. But there is a, a bizarre hangup for a, a women's exposed arms of any shade. Um, also, though, this reminds me. Uh, quick tangent time that. Theresa May, the new British prime minister, caught so much shade a few weeks back for wearing a dress to an event that showed her knees. And people said her bare knees, too, mind you. And people said that Wait, women have knees. I, right. Uh, people were complaining, though, that it was inappropriate and undignified. Do they not do these people not live in the world? Do they not like see? No, they, that's the thing, Caroline. They do live in the world, you know? Yeah, I know. <laughs> and the world is shockingly hateful of women's bodies. They literally pick us apart 
And that, friends, is what objectification means. So back to the weather. <laughs> God help you if you're pregnant. Oh, yeah. Big time. We actually touched on this topic back in our maternity wear episode because in in that episode, which, sure, it was geared toward fashion and fashion history, but you can't separate fashion and fashion history from women's bodies and people's opinions of them so often. And we did talk about how pregnant uh, either newscasters or weather forecasters are frequently subject to people's uh, reprehensible uh, criticisms. Uh, so in 2015, Katie Failinger of CBS3 in Philadelphia, she's a meteorologist, um, had to endure pregnancy-related criticism throughout her entire pregnancy. Um, people were freaking out, basically, that she was still working while visibly pregnant. So she she got all sorts of criticism from not only being like, oh, my God, I can see your baby bump. You're a disgusting pregnant woman. But also, like, you should be at home having a family, not working. And uh, she addressed all of this on Facebook twice because it just didn't stop. Really, like, the larger her pregnant belly grew, the larger the viewer outrage. So she's pregnant with twin girls, by the way. So she's going to have a big belly. Um, but at 33 weeks... She really started getting it. And the first time around on Facebook, because a lot of this, a lot of these comments now are generated on Facebook, mm-hmm. on the, you know, CBS three or like whatever the channel is. Uh, they all have Facebook pages. And this is where people now come rather than writing yield letters. Uh, they go to yield Facebook and say terrible things. Um, so she wrote, I know many of you are concerned that I'm still working this quote unquote late in pregnancy, but as I write this, I'm 33 weeks, one day into the journey. While I do intend to take a full 12 weeks of leave once our girls arrive, I'm also trying not to eat away at that time before they're born unless my doctor feels it's necessary. And the fact that she feels compelled to even have to share this personal information just to get people to stop talking about her body and pay attention to what she's doing, which is her job. Oh, but they didn't stop. It's so sad. Oh, yeah. And then it got worse. It got worse as she went further along in her pregnancy. And two weeks later, at 35 weeks pregnant, she did take some time to respond to the horrendous body shaming that she was experiencing. And what she told Yahoo Parenting just broke my freaking heart. Uh, she said, the one that came in about the sausage encasing, that one upset me the most. I didn't respond. I tried to move on, but it really hurt my feelings. Then I got another one this week about looking disgusting and a switch flipped for me. I had a moment of clarity. I didn't get embarrassed or hurt. I got fed up. So, you know, don't make the meteorologist angry, right? Like, stop with your useless body shaming, your useless criticism. Who do you think you are? Why do you get to be so entitled as to tell someone else what you think about their appearance when it has nothing to do with you? Because women. Because Because women are valued for their appearance, unfortunately, in in a Patriarchal society. Um, also, talk to Minnesota meteorologist Cindy Morgan about it. She experienced a similar thing when she was pregnant, especially with people complaining that her clothes were too tight. Yeah, and that definitely goes back to our maternity wear episode because we talked a lot about how in terms of fashion trends, pregnant women don't really want to go for the princess dye voluminous dress look anymore. People want to still dress like themselves, whether they're pregnant or not. And that will involve wearing a dress, yes, that maybe it's stretchy and it stretches over your belly. And for some reason, that sends people into an outrage. Yeah, some some people react as if it's vulgar. Um, meteorologist Christy Gordon of British Columbia's Global News Network also addressed her pregnancy haters on air which is a total badass move um, because she was dealing with people saying things like buy some decent clothes and have more respect for your unborn child. You're not the first pregnant woman. Looser tops would look much more professional. And seriously, we could just spend the next two hours plus reading terrible things that people have said about women, especially pregnant women meteorologists. Like, you know, that whole uh, people read mean tweets. Yeah. Gimmick. I mean, you could make a whole other show about, you know, meteorologists read awful 
things people about say. About them. Yes. Yeah, but I mean, it, it's nothing new, and that should surprise exactly no one who listens to this podcast. There has always been disproportionate attention paid to female weathercasters' appearances. And we're going to get into that when we come right back from a quick break. So the history of broadcast meteorology is a whimsical one, (laughs) Um, because before we became obsessed with uh, women weathercasters, beauty and fashion and physique, we just wanted to have a good time. <laughs> We've always w- apparently wanted something really cute to look at to tell us whether it's going to rain that day. Um, and there was sort of a mini history about this over at the New York Times, which reported that on October 14th, 1941, WNBT, which is the forerunner to NBC, broadcast the first televised weather report starring an animated cartoon character named Wooly Lamb. Well, first of all, like the creativity in that name is sorely lacking. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, before we had human people (laughs) telling us the weather, we had like sock puppets and animations. (laughs) I imagine Lamb Chop and Sherry Lewis Mm -hmm. doing doing their bit – Reporting the weather. And uh, honestly, I wouldn't mind that. I'm doing my hardest not to get the Lamb Chop theme song stuck in my head. Don't say it. Yes, let's move along quickly. Right. Yeah, there was a brief post-war period when we had military veterans, meteorology professors, and uh, former U.S. Weather Bureau personnel who would deliver some somber forecasts. So less the cutesy woolly lamb stuff and more like, it's going to rain today. There's a low-pressure system <laughs> rising in the east. Uh, back to you, Jeffrey. Well, so, and then so, by the time we hit the 50s, people are like, this is, this like, could be better. Bill Weatherman is <laughs> really creeping me out. Why is he breathing like that? Uh, and also, sign of the times, too. You know, 1950s loved some lady eye candy. Come on, the boys are back home. Yeah, there's this paper we were reading. It's fascinating. Uh, called Weather Girls on the Big Screen, Stereotypes, Sex Appeal, and Science. It was published in 2013 by the American Meteorological Society. What? So many syllables. Um, but yeah, in the, in the 50s, we start getting weather girls. Um, which was just a ratings gimmick. They they wanted to boost ratings by hiring female eye candy to report the weather. They weren't meteorologists. They were just they're pretty. They were pretty. And you know what this sounds exactly like that was happening around the exact same time? Hmm. Our flight attendant episode. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Using yes. pretty women to get people on planes. Yeah. And one person who was a walking gimmick uh, was Raquel Tejada, who you might know as Raquel Welsh. She got her start as the sun-up weather girl. Mm, yeah, weather girl. Who doesn't love to be called a weather girl, right? There's nothing wrong with that. It's not like it uh, objectifies anyone or highlights a presumed lack of knowledge and experience or anything or whatever, you know? Oh, yeah, not at all. No. Not at all. Uh, so that paper that Caroline just cited describes how weather girl, that term that, that Sarah, our listener also, you know, hates so much and, you know, clearly, clearly it's still a thing. Weather girl epitomized their objectification and presumed lack of scientific training. Quote, the clear emphasis on looks and style among many weather girls coincided with public skepticism of women's scientific skills with programmers eagerness to trivialize the weather cast. So meteorologists are just getting thrown under the bus along with female intellect. Right. And you put all that together and you get weather girls. Yeah. And it's that's still we we are still seeing the ripple effects of that today. I mean, that. The same time that we get female weathercasters, I almost said we male feathercasters. (laughs) Um, That's from the beginning. 
the the um poo-pooing of women's intelligence and the assumption that they are just there to be eye candy and titillation for uh, a bored audience is coinciding with the dawn of that as even a career. Yeah, it's still, as you could tell from uh, Sarah's episode request, it still affects, negatively affects, the credibility of female meteorologists, broadcast meteorologists, I should say. Um, and this is a problem for us watching especially in events of dangerous weather. Yeah. Because if just like a weather girl is telling you a tornado is coming, like are you likelier to take action or if Bill Weatherman comes on. With his turtleneck. With with his turtleneck pulled up all the way to his (laughs) eyes. uh, Then, you know, Bill Weatherman tells you a tornado is coming. Then you're like, well, we'd better – Pack up and drive somewhere. Actually, I don't know what you're supposed to do in a tornado. I just realized. Uh, seek shelter. Okay, cool. Don't drive. Yeah, yeah. Do not do not drive. You don't know what we've all seen the movie Twister. You don't know when a cow is going to get lodged in your windshield. You know. And quick side note: I was hoping that Twister would come up in this, you're but welcome. Helen Hunt oh. was not a weather girl because she was a producer, right? She was behind the scenes yeah. chasing the storm. She was a storm chaser, meteorologist, scientist person. Yeah, which is a whole other topic. Yeah. Um, but in the history of broadcast meteorology, there is sort of an original weather girl. Yeah, in 1952, we get Carol Reed. Yay, she's the first female weathercaster hired in a major market. Oh, wait. Uh, she is described as having no qualifications aside from a cheerful manner and a knack for communication. So she debuted in 1952 at just 26 years old. And while she had no like weather predicting or meteorological qualifications, uh, for 12 years, she was on air at WCBS in New York, smiling brightly. And what did she had a tagline or something? She had a signature sign off. Have a happy. And you're like, have a happy like, what? A, a de- <laughs> Carol? And it's already like cut back to the, the anchor desk. Mm-hmm. So maybe because uh, listeners became so confused, <laughs> she finally got the axe. Um, in actuality, though, she was swiftly fired around the time when broadcast started taking meteorology more seriously. I've never heard that pattern of events before. Yeah. So they were like, oh, Carol, uh, you have a happy too. And by happy, I mean life. Yeah. And there was this 1955 Life magazine spread called Weather Work for Women, which basically just highlighted the frivolity of this weather girl character. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's delightful <laughs> to see uh, because these weather girls are having so much fun. Um, but all it is are just attractive White, young women, very slim, very conventionally pretty, uh, smiling. And uh, w- one of the sort of mini stories within that photo essay was of an audition for a weather reporting job because they, they needed no scientific training at all. They just needed to be the most charming. So <laughs> you had – I think it was like three girls who were competing for this weather reporting job by putting on their best smiles – but it also noted, too, how <laughs> the tide had turned against weather men. Um, and the guys were also using gimmicks. There was a dude, I think, who had like a ventriloquist dummy or something. Get out of, get out of here. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, I, I won't. I, <laughs> I, I have to stay here. It's my job. Uh, but they were saying that weather men were much less popular now than these chipper, attractive weather girls. And I have to read a couple of the captions just because they're too good not to quote. The first one, Tippy String, which best name of the podcast so far, Tippy String of WRC has created a cartoon character, Senator Fairweather, who here reports flowers in hand that spring is on the way. Senator Fairweather. But the worst caption, really summing up the weather girl stereotype at the time, uh, which is in reference to the girls auditioning for uh, that, that one reporting job, is, quote, 
Since the girls didn't know an isobar from a low-pressure area, the station hired a meteorologist to tell them what they were talking about. <laughs> Kristen's face. <laughs> it's, it's, it's hilariously depressing. <laughs> you know. um, and then in 1956, in Science News, you have the quote, whether pretty girls or trained weathermen should present television weathercasts long the subject of private discussions among weathermen is now being openly debated. All those Bill's weathermen yes. are debating yes. what should happen with the pretty girls. Right. So right there, you have a complete dismissal that a pretty girl could even possess that kind of scientific knowledge and uh you know should should maybe it be men doing this job well and it's no surprise then that on the heels of a discussion or a debate like that you should have questions about how do we legitimize this profession how do we ensure that there is good quality and in 1957 the American Meteorological Society initiates its seal of approval program to basically try to class up the joint so that's great, but it wasn't until December 1972 that a woman even earned that seal, and 197 out of the first 200 seals went to men. And part of that is probably due to, you know, the numbers of men who were going to college and studying meteorology. You know, I mean, this the seal of approval um I, I wasn't developed to exclude women. No, but it um, went to people who had the right credentials. Who exactly. had to be a trained meteorologist. Exactly. And even today, we see a gender gap with women weathercasters holding just 14% of the AMS certified broadcast mm-hmm. meteorologist credentials. Um, and, and part of that, too, is that they, you know, the AMS is not messing around. Um, it's tough to get certified as it as it should be. Yeah. Um so by 1961 though, an estimated 75% of TV stations across the US employed a weather girl. We are just it's raining weather girls in the 60s. <laughs> um yeah, and in 1960, Diane White Clado in St. Louis Transitions from radio and live entertainment to become America's first black weather girl. And uh, Clado did face, as you might expect, racist harassment from viewers. But she ended up reporting the weather for 12 years for them before transitioning to hard news. And even today, black female weathercasters are relatively rare to see. And we're going to talk a little bit about that later in the show. Um, but I Specifically wanted to seek out with this whole weather girl conversation, um, weather. Oh gosh. <laughs> I know it's hard. There were uh, black women who were also delivering the weather at this time and, and we did find Diane White Clado. But then once we get into the 1970s, things get more serious. And we're going to talk about what that means when we come right back from a quick break. So, Caroline, on Stuff Mom Never Told You, serious is often a synonym for what? Uh, serious dudage. Yes. Becoming male-dominated. When things become professionalized, it typically means they're becoming more male-dominated as well. Yes. A serious equals dudage. <laughs> and that's what you start to see in the 1970s when you do have more professional meteorologists, a lot of whom at the time were men. This is a STEM field after all. Um, and they swept in, so to speak, and started taking over the broadcasts from these cheerful, entertaining women. And obviously it wasn't just male meteorologists <laughs> storming the gates of local TV stations. Um, I'm even, picturing The Walking Dead. I know, even though that would be kind of incredible. And I would watch that uh, Ron Burgundy <laughs> starring film. Um, but even even though this is the time when women's liberation and second wave feminism is kicking up, we couldn't liberate female meteorologists, even the serious female meteorologists, from this weather girl stereotype. 
Well, yeah, because local news was become or, you know, national morning news was just becoming more of like a, a happy talk kind of place where you've got, you know, the smiley hosts, the Katie Couric's, the early Katie Couric's, um, who were all about that chipper morning talk. And so the weathercaster was sort of part and parcel. Kind of like uh, Al Roker. Yeah. You know, uh, or, or a, what's his name? Wilfred Scott before him. A Willard, Willard, Willard Scott. Scott. Yes. But they weren't weather girls. You know, why didn't the chipper guys have a nickname too? Like, like a weather gents <laughs> or something. Um, but here's the thing. Ambitious women had wisened up to this weather girl trap. And for a lot of them, they started to see it, especially if they wanted a, a long-term career in just broadcast news. They saw the weather girl as a stepping stone mm-hmm. to the anchor desk. So, for instance, Diane Sawyer endured this superficial morning chatter as a way to segue to anchoring the whole shebang. Yeah, but Barbara Walters was not all about that. She flat out refused to be a weather girl because she basically considered it a cheap trick on TV and uh, cheapening of women's skills. Well, yeah, and she also didn't want to be sexually objectified. Right. That was the thing, too, of like, I don't want to be seen as an object if I'm trying to make my way into this more serious field. And one telling quote comes from June Bacon Bercy, who was the first black woman to receive one of those American Meteorological Society seals of approval. That's hard to say. So I will hard, say. So hard to say. <laughs> Especially if I had to say that in front of a green screen uh, to a live audience. Um, but Bacon Bercy said, quote, I did not want to do weather on television only because at that time in the 70s, I felt it was still gimmicky for women. And I didn't want to prostitute my profession by being some kind of clown. Ooh, harsh words. Sure. I mean, prostitute your profession. Yeah. I mean, and I think that, uh, especially judging by, um, what our stuff mom never told you, a listener mentioned that there's still sort of a similar feeling. Well, yeah. And then you have Detroit meteorologist Marilyn Turner, who was talking to Parade Magazine back in 1975. And even back then, she was saying, I don't believe anyone over 21 should be called a girl. You don't call a man a weather boy. Yeah. Al Roker is not a weather boy. No, no, (laughs) no, 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 no. Well, and then the 80s, we start to see some technological advancements uh, around weather casting. So it gets even more advanced and more professionalized. You start to see the green screens, the Doppler radar graphics, and the launch of the Weather Channel, which offers basically new respect for the weathercaster as a scientist, as someone who's going to predict what your weekend picnic weather will be like. Um I, for one, remember being a kid and discovering that it was a green screen and that they were looking at a TV off camera to point out the weather. And I was like, it's like magic, sort of. Me, too. I remember (laughs) the same thing. And I feel like I don't know if we were above average, but just on my recollection, it seemed like my family was a real weather channel family. You know, we, we watched that it's, All the time. It's great to nap to. Oh, yeah, very soothing. Same with baseball games and golf. I just <laughs> nap to any of that stuff. Um, but in the 80s as well, with the launch of the Weather Channel, and not necessarily related, um, but we do have at this time more women pursuing atmospheric science degrees and technology. And they're getting more respect, but it's still bogged down with that sexist stereotype. However... Snaps to the Weather Channel because it had no interest in Weather Girls. In fact, it was partially launched to get away from that reputation of weather just being this, uh, I don't know, part of the happy talk of the morning. Yeah, 75% of its initial 24 on-camera reporters were academically trained meteorologists. And uh, Weather Channel's Vivian Brown uh, celebrated her 25th anniversary there in 2012. She actually received a uh, master's in atmospheric science from Georgia Tech. And that's notable because I remember watching Vivian Brown uh, forecast the weather when I was a kid. And 
she was talking to Ebony magazine about how significant it is that she is a woman of color who is also this veteran uh, weather forecaster. And in her experience, she was just talking about how much she was such a weather nerd <laughs> growing up and that, yeah, she was usually the only one who looked like her in the room, but she really loved it so much. She persisted and made her way through. But if we fast forward today, still the stigma remains. Yeah. Uh, Kendra Kent, who's the rare female chief meteorologist at a TV station, um, echoes what our listener wrote in. Uh, Kent says, you're constantly fighting the weather girl stigma. Whoever came up with that term really jinxed us these last few decades. And she also earned her master's degree in broadcast meteorology from Mississippi State. She also has official seals of approval from the American Meteorological Society and the National Weather Association. Um, so she's a big hitter and she's t- High yard of these weather girl stereotypes. Yeah, you would imagine that someone uh, with all of that knowledge would have none of this stigma. Um, speaking though of Mississippi State, I did not know until researching for this episode because why else really would I know this? <laughs> that it and Penn State are the top two schools for broadcast meteorology. Yeah, huh? Mississippi State. Who knew? Answer, not me. Um, but there's this double bind at this point. Uh, and this is something that was talked about in a really in-depth analysis uh, from a couple of years ago from Frank N. Magid Associates. And essentially, it's the whole thing that if you happen to be a woman and a weathercaster and you forecast the weather correctly, then the perception is that it must just be easy work. You're probably just getting on your weather app on your phone, right? And then just repeating what's there. Uh, but then if you miss the mark, if you say it's not going to rain and then, of course, torrential downpour, then they assume it's because you're just a weather bunny, as some of them are called. You're just a, a bimbo, really. Yeah. And this whole thing is unfortunate because weather is typically the number one reason that people tune into local news, uh, especially in areas that are prone to really bad, severe weather. And in fact, in those local uh, TV stations, those local news stations, meteorologists are among the highest paid, even more Mm -hmm. so sometimes than the news anchor, because everybody's tuning in for the weather. Uh, including my family, apparently, although we were really more the weather channel types yeah. more than the local news weather. Uh, but that was that was just us. Um, and even today, research from uh, the Radio Television Digital News Association and Hofstra University finds that there is still a broadcast weather gender gap. Yeah, so Kristen mentioned that Mississippi State and Penn State are the top two schools for broadcast meteorology. Uh, Mississippi State has about 40% of its majors being women, and Penn State has about 35%, which is an uptick from a decade ago, so that's positive. But there is clearly then a drop-off between the classroom and the newsroom that leaves just two out of every ten broadcast meteorologists as women. So, I mean, what's going on? Well, I would imagine that if if you are wise to the criticism from uh, the viewers that you might be subject to, maybe that would deter you. Um, but I'm not entirely sure that was something that this analysis didn't get deeply into. So meteorologists listening who have some insight on that uh, pipeline leakage, let us know uh, what's up with that. Because women make up 40% of the total TV station workforce in the U.S. compared to around 20% of the local TV weather crew. And in fact, we are making faster headway. We as in women are making faster headway in sports reporting than we are in weather. Yeah, that actually stopped me in my tracks, too, because that's how you know something's bad. (laughs) (laughs) Because we talked about, you know, sideline reporters way back in the day now. And uh, 
I feel like when things and things should should get better for women in sports reporting. More women should be in sports reporting. That's great. Give them more opportunities. Um, but the fact that it's improving in sports reporting faster than in local weather is is pretty telling. And when you do get women though entering, not dropping out of the pipeline and entering weather casting, uh, around seventy percent of them are assigned to those perkier morning weather uh, forecasts, and they're less likely to do the whole on the ground severe weather coverage. They're out in the storm, their hats blowing away, their their windbreaker is billowing in the wind, <laughs> breaking it. I was about to say, it was, it, their windbreakers are almost breaking. Um, there also seems to be some ageism at work because if you look at the distribution of male weathercasters, like across the uh, the ages from really your mid-20s even up to your 70s, it remains pretty flat. But women peak, not terribly surprisingly, in the 26 to 30-year-old cohort. But there's also the question of whether they're pulling a Diane Sawyer and using it as a stepping stone to a news anchor desk. Um, but the cycle that we see of even when you get women into broadcast weather, um, they still tend to trickle out. That's been referred to as the freeze out of female broadcast meteorologists. Mm. And in a pattern that is repeated in pretty much Every Stuff Mom Never Told You episode in which we have looked at a career field, the higher up the ranks you go, the smaller the proportion of women you find. Yeah, women are just 10 to 12 percent of TV station chief meteorologists. And this sort of jibes with the fact that women hold just 21 percent of those AMS, American Meteorological Society, seals of approval and just 14 percent of AMS broadcast certifications. And there's also a question, too, of a credibility gap because, quote unquote, weather girls had zero credibility And so it's been harder for women to be taken seriously in this very scientific field. Uh, And it's also reinforced the idea that doing the weather is a super easy stepping stone to, quote unquote, serious journalism, Um, even though I mean, this is the whole irony of the whole thing, even though we as a local TV audience primarily tune in. For the weather. Yeah. And this whole credibility gap issue is pervasive. It's on all sides when it comes to hiring. Uh, Barbara Fry, who's the vice president of talent services at that Frank in Majid Associates group, uh, says that some managers deep down inside have a hang up about putting women in lead roles in weather. They fear the women won't have credibility. So there you have a cycle as well, of course, because us from the dawn of weather girls. It's been this like flippant, just cutesy thing that hasn't been taken seriously. But if the people who are responsible for hiring are not taking them seriously either, then we're just not going to see them on screen and the cycle will continue. Yeah. And here's the thing, too. If a station has had a weather dude for forever, um, once he leaves, he is likely to be replaced with another dude to maintain a so-called gender balance of the station, um, which does make me wonder what will happen when Al Roker goes. Will Al Roker be replaced with another Al Roker? I feel like <laughs> could there be another Al Roker? Um, but uh, well, you got to balance out Hoda and Kathy Lee, right, on the Today Show? Oh, see, here's the thing, uh, and not to perpetuate the credibility gap, but... <laughs> Kathy Lee with her white wine doing the weather could be a fun start to the day. That's true. But then also a segment after that, having an actual meteorologist who happens to be a woman delivering the real weather and not drunk. Maybe Kathy Lee could just be watching the meteorologist give the weather with her wine. Ah, there you go. She could be off to the side heckling. We should maybe start our own uh, feminist weather channel. We've got... Great ideas. Ooh, feminist weather. What would that be? Uh, we were just Ladies. singing, it's raining men all the time. All the time. And then, uh, we would pay a lot of attention to those full moons. Cause you know what's coming. <laughs> Hashtag men sees. <laughs> but one thing I was not prepared uh, to discover 
while looking up info about the landscape of women and weathercasting today is just the rampant sexualization of so-called weather girls. I mean, that that trope is alive and well. Y'all, there are so many listicles of... How people love to do this. Oh, yeah. Ex-hottest weather girls. Yeah, I mean, whether you're... Whether you're a weather girl or a sideline reporter or whatever, if you're a woman in the media and in the public eye of any kind, I mean, there's going to be a listicle that is doing nothing but objectifying these women who are doing their hardest to be taken seriously. Well, now we have a spectrum, it seems like, because in certain markets, you do still have the more uh, looks-based weather presenter. Um, but even still, if you have a serious meteorologist who is weather casting, it's not like she is immune um, from being sexually objectified. So you have this gross ogling of them. Um, and, and regardless of whether you are uh, a weather presenter or actually a, a weather caster, um, it doesn't mean that like it's cool to objectify no. the presenter. Um, but you have all of that going on, just drooling over them. And then on the other hand, you have all of that body shaming criticism right. that's usually directed at more at the the women who might have those AMS seals of approval, who did get their atmospheric science degree, um, who are really science nerds about the whole thing. I mean, so it's like, can can, can women in weather win? Maybe if they put on that $23 magical Amazon dress. Well, and we can't leave out the whole issue of rampant racism either. Um, one example of this uh, is Maria Julio Coutinho. Uh, she's Brazil's first black weather forecaster on prime time. Great. Wonderful. Um, however, she received so many racist, vitriolic Facebook comments that she ended up doing something positive. And she started the Criola Group, which is a nonprofit advocating on behalf of black Brazilian women. She just faced so much abuse herself that she felt compelled that, you know, I have to do something to counter this. And I was surprised to not find more research or coverage of race and weather casting, especially as it applies to women, um, because just anecdotally, there do seem to be far more white female faces in the United States than otherwise. Um, and I'm not entirely sure why that is, whether that has to do with uh, going back to the pipeline issue and um, gaps in STEM education or also the racist hiring practices and preferences. Um, so, again, if anyone listening has some insider knowledge on that, uh, we'd love to hear about it because uh, really – uh, Coutinho is the major story that you find when you look up information about weather casting and racism. And maybe the answer is that it's it's not such a thing. So that's why there hasn't been much attention paid to it. But uh, I am really doubtful that there's ever not racism at play when anecdotally all you see are white faces. And that's where we're going to leave this episode because we are curious to hear from people in the field, whether you are uh, in broadcast meteorology or in meteorology off screen. Um, we're curious to know about the gender dynamics going into this um, because this really is a STEM field that I at least haven't heard all of that much about in terms of conversations around gender and STEM. So we would love to hear from you. Thank you so much to meteorologist Sarah for suggesting this episode. And, uh, you know, she mentioned that ABC's chief meteorologist, Ginger Z, is one of her heroes, and I'm wondering if anyone listening has a favorite weather forecaster, someone who perhaps inspired them or someone who they just really admire. Uh, let us know. Let us know all of your weather thoughts. Momstuff at HowStuffWorks.com is our email address. You can also tweet us at MomStuffPodcast or message us on Facebook. And we've got a couple of messages to share with you right now. 
Okay, well, I have a letter here from uh, Leela. She says, I've been following your podcast for forever, and I just listened to your episode after Trump's election. I am so sorry. I'm Asian Canadian, and like many Canadians, I've been closely following American politics, and you guys have our support. I thought Hillary would win as well. I have an undergraduate and master's degree in history. During my undergrad, I specialized in Canadian-American relations and then, and then at the end of my master's, critical race theory. Evidently, one of my main concerns over Trump's victory was on the issue of race and how the lives of non-whites will be impacted. I completely agree with you that this election was a decision made by a significant chunk of Americans voting to keep white supremacy alive. It is a sad moment. Canada, too, had to endure eight years of conservative rule under Stephen Harper. He's comparable to Trump, especially in regards to xenophobic tendencies and support of large corporations. Under him, Canada traveled backward in time. We now have Trudeau, who is trying to undo many of the changes made by Harper. You never realize what a majority government entails until you get it. We are used to a political stalemate, but now that the Republicans have a majority in the House, Senate, and the Supreme Court, I do think that America will also travel back in time. It's going to be a painful four years, and people will pay with their lives and savings. But you know what? I think this can be good for us. Now that the idea of a post-racial America has been dismantled, we can now have more conversations about how race works instead of arguing whether racism still exists or not. I think people who care about marginalized people's rights will put this to good use. It will get us thinking and only make us care more about the issues we already care about. Don't forget that you have tons of support from people all over the world. You're not alone, but I hear you. It sucks. You just need time. I believe in America. You guys will pull through this. The simple fact that I know there are two highly intelligent women in Atlanta vouching for equality puts a smile on my face. But feel free to move to Canada. We like Americans like you. <laughs> Thanks, Leela. Appreciate it. Well, I have a letter here from Kitty, and she's also writing in response to the American election. She writes, I started composing this email early last week before the awful reality of the Trump win was even predicted. I really feel for you all in the U.S., and we are all very much reeling from the shock on the other side of the world, too. Now that the dust has begun to settle and I've had my cry, I'm trying to view this as an opportunity to be stronger and fight harder for what I believe in and to start conversations and to make a difference. I live in Canberra, the home of Australia's federal parliament, and I've been listening to your podcast religiously for the past 10 months, evangelizing about the Sminty message to any friends who will listen to me. Oh, thanks so much, Kitty. Driving home from work on Tuesday, I was listening to your podcast on female heads of government and heads of state. Wow. As a young woman who works in a role that observes a lot of the political machine, this was such a powerful reminder of how far we've come and how far we still have to go. On your comments on former Prime Minister Julia Gillard and Australian politics, I have a correction and then a couple of facts that will probably interest you in the Sminty audience. Tony Abbott famously made himself the Minister for Women when he became Prime Minister after the 2013 federal election and only elected one woman to his cabinet of 19 members. It was controversial for a number of reasons, and he relinquished the role to a female colleague around a year later and added an extra woman to a cabinet. Oh, how generous, Tony. There's so much more of that story, but I give you just one anecdote to set the tone. When asked what his greatest achievement as Minister for Women was, Abbott commented that it was repealing the carbon tax because the women of Australia were worried mostly about the household budget. Women around the country were incensed, especially as topics such as paid parental leave and intimate partner violence were and still are much bigger issues for many of us, and public perception was that he had done nothing at all. Although Abbott is no longer prime minister, after being ousted from leadership by current prime minister, Malcolm Turnbull, things haven't really improved for women in his party, although there are now six in the 23-member cabinet. At the election this year, the conservative liberal national coalition dipped to its lowest female representation in two decades, with only 13 women to 63 men in the House of Representatives and six women to 24 in the Senate. Things are a bit better in some of the other parties, but not by much. But it's not all bad news, and I'd like to give you two a couple feel-good stories. 
Last week, the Australian Senate voted to change the standing orders, the rules of the Senate, to allow senators to briefly care for an infant in the chamber, meaning that senators will be able to care for their child and not miss a critical vote or discussion. This is a change from the previous terminology, which only included breastfeeding, which would have prevented fathers from caring for a child, and which brings the Senate's rules in line with the House of Representatives on the other side of the building. Two, last month, the Australian Capital Territory, which is home to Canberra and the Parliament, held its election for its Legislative Assembly. Canberra and the ACT are known for being quite progressive generally, but this election was groundbreaking for Australia. The ACT became the first state or territory ever to elect a majority of female representatives. A total of 13 out of 25 members are women. And to top it off, it's the first time a party with an LGBTQ member has been elected into state or territory government. While it's not a totally feel-good story, I feel like I should also mention that the ACT has a long history of fighting for marriage equality and famously legalized same-sex marriage for a total of five days in 2013 before the High Court deemed the legislation unconstitutional because the Constitution places the onus for marriage legislation on the federal government and annulled the 31 marriages that had occurred because same-sex marriage was and remains illegal in Australia. Still, we keep fighting. Keep on fighting, ladies. Stand up for what you believe in. Stand up for those who can't. Celebrate the little wins and work toward the big ones. And thank you so very much for everything you do. Well, Kitty, thank you so much for everything that you do and for sharing what's happening in your part of the world. And I got to say that that's been... um, a really, it's been an upshot of the, the American election to hear from folks outside the U.S. who are dealing with similar issues, um, because by no means are the inequalities that we are seeing made manifest with this last election specific only to the U.S. So, dear friends, please keep writing us. And if you'd like to reach out to Caroline or me individually, you can do that or follow us. I'm at Kristen Conger on Twitter. Caroline is at the Caroline Irv. That's E-R-V on Twitter. And you can also find us on Instagram. And we both have personal websites as well. We're extremely Googleable. So find us, talk to us, and let's keep these conversations going. And for links to all of our stuff, Mom Never Told You, social media, as well as all of our blogs, videos, and podcasts with our sources so you can learn even more about women in weather, head on over to StuffMomNeverToldYou.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 